Hello, everybody. Welcome to the world's greatest Bronze Age comic book podcast, Flea Market Fantasy. I'm your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. That's right. And guess what? Shocktober continues. This is our third week of Shocktober. And to celebrate, we brought in a very special guest. Why don't you tell everybody who's with us? It's our old buddy, Bob Myers. Woo! Bob. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Thanks Bob. for having me back. <laughs> he's, Absolutely. He's become a regular. Uh, Bob, what was the last one you did with us? Was that Thing? Or? Uh, that might be the last one, yeah. I believe I... it was Strange Tales. Strange Tales? Yeah, Strange Tales with, hold on, let me just open this up here, Brother Voodoo. Oh, oh was that the last one? That's right. Yeah. I can't keep uh, track anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot all about Strange Tales with Brother Voodoo. I love fucking love Brother Voodoo. All right, but anyway, um, Bob's back, and it's Shocktober. Uh, so I let Bob pick the book. Bob, tell the kids what you chose. <laughs> We're reading Chamber of Darkness <laughs> from 1970, I believe. Yeah, it's issue four, 1970. This is the earliest book we've ever done on here because we, you know, we just do books from the 1970s and 80s. So this is like as early as we can get, Michael. Wow. 1970. I didn't even think about that. Interesting. Really yeah. pushing the limits of Bronze Age here, but it counts. Right. Yeah, and uh, Michael, have you ever heard of Chamber of Darkness? You know... I honestly don't know if I have, and if I did, I think I assumed it was kind of like more of like a reprint of 50 stuff, so when I cracked it open, I was surprised to see a new Kirby story in here. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, but let me ask Bob, uh, like, why did you pick Chamber of Darkness? Was it just something you stumbled upon, or are you familiar with it? Uh, yeah, basically I just stumbled upon it, and I knew Shocktober was coming up, so I figured this would be a good one for you. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for that. Yes, uh, Chamber of uh, Darkness started in 1969. It was published by Monthly. And Mike L., do you know why they started it? Because they saw that DC was having success with House of Mystery. All right. Sounds about right. <laughs> no jive. That is the reason why it started. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to do their own horror anthology. By the way, Mike L., I think this is three weeks in a row now we've done anthologies. That's right, yep. Uh, Unknown Soldier, uh, whatever that one, House of Mystery, and then this one. And uh, <clears throat> so it lasted eight issues, all right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they had three original stories each issue. But then they changed the title of the series to, oh, fuck, what was it? I think we're Monsters Prowl. Okay. I think it's the name of the they changed That's a it much worse title. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty awesome. But it probably sold better. I uh, and once they did that, I think they would only have like one original story, and then they'd fill it out with reprints, and then eventually it was just nothing but reprints. So, Mike L., you're kind of right there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the reprints were from way back in Atlas days. Gotcha. You know, in the 50s. And, and then that series ran until issue 30. Yeah, I'm looking at it so, now. Monsters on the Prowl. Is that what you said? Uh, I, 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 think we're, I think I said where Monsters Prowl. Okay. All right, so Monsters on the Prowl. I think I like Monsters on the Prowl better. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know. It doesn't matter. They're both awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, 30 issues and uh, mostly reprints, but that's what it is. Because I had never heard of this, you know, Chamber of Darkness. Uh, no concept of it. And But, Mike, you mentioned uh, with Jack Kirby is right. in this issue. There's three stories in here. Jack Kirby uh, writes and draws the first issue. This was one of the rare things he had ever written at Marvel Interesting. at this time. Because usually he didn't start writing until he went to DC. Like right. Really, you know? Right. So this is uh, pretty interesting in that regard. And also the third story we'll be reading is drawn by uh, Barry Smith. Yes. Before he even had the Windsor. He was just right. Barry Smith. 
And, and I it, think this this was like the 11th book he did at Marvel, I think. Interesting. And it was kind of like a backdoor pilot for Conan, right? I don't know. Uh, is yeah. that what you, you researched yes, that? Or that's you just what, that's what my it? research has revealed to me, yes. Oh. All right. How about that? Yep. So it's a little something like that. Like a test run, yeah. Uh, all wait, right. Wait, so they, they read that. They read that and thought, "Yeah, let's make more of these." I mean, look, let's yeah. not get ahead of ourselves. But. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that later. <laughs> all right. So uh, I guess let's just get into it, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know. sure. How, how much can we say about these horror books? I don't know. <laughs> well, first we got to talk about this cover here. Do you know who drew this? Uh, was it Marie Severin? That is right, Marie Severin, and I think Bill Everett did the. Uh, yeah, episode. like this is uh, you know Marie Severin's the unsung hero of the. 60s Marvel bullpen because this art is nothing like Kirby or Ditko or Romita, but it's so good, you know? It's got like a classic feel to it, and I think it's perfect for this genre. Well, describe what it's uh, depicting. So, okay, first let's start at the top. Chamber of Darkness, not the greatest logo for what the genre is, right? It just kind of looks like a typical superhero logo with just jagged letters. And then below that it says, and the monster man came walking, walking. And then we see a really cool um, image of this guy uh, dressed in like like a a coat and like a, a hat and a, like a what's it called a plaid scarf, walking <laughs> down like a flight of um, wooden stairs in like the middle of a village, and all these people are recoiling from him. Like we see a, a redhead girl with like a mini skirt and like a dude looking out his window and like an older couple and then like a bunch of other people way in the background. And it's a really cool shot. Like, you know, it looks like it's an old European village or something. It's really good. Yeah, and I'd say it, the art kind of looks like a, it's, it's not your superhero art. It's kind of like if you ever went, read a uh, a comic book adaptation of like Oliver Twist or some yes, Charles Dickens yes, story. Yes, exactly. Right. That's what it's like. Uh, right. And down at the bottom it says, also in this incredible issue, the man who owned the world and the secret of the silver sword. Secret of the silver sword. So, yeah. Bob, what do you th- what do you think of this cover? Uh, I love this cover. I think it's gorgeous, <laughs> and it's yeah. it's part. It's a big part of what drew me into choosing this issue. Is I thought this cover was great. Yeah, the real. I, I'm guessing Murray Severin probably colored this, right, Michael? The color is really good. Yeah, yes. the color is just amazing on this cover. Because she's mm-hmm. spectacular as a colorist, and uh, yeah, because like he's highlighted with yellow behind him, the the guy in the center, and then it gets dark darker colors as you go out. And, right. Uh, it's really well done, yeah. Yeah. Gives amazing. a lot of depth to the uh, image, you know? Yep. Absolutely. So there you go. Uh, all right. Uh, then we open up the issue. And, uh, oh, we should say it's, uh, what, 15 cents. You know what? I also want to say, notice the corner box is not a character. It's a person yeah. holding, like, a candle. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, lighting up, like, a hallway. That's so good. Anyway. Like an old school candle on, like, a little metal tray. Right. And he's holding yep. it up. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, 15 cents, like you said, we crack it open, and the monster, and this is, again, we said, this is Jack Kirby, this is 1970, so I believe this is around the time, <clears throat> around the time he also did a an issue of Silver Surfer that he wrote himself, and it was kind of wacky, his, his, art style, his art style was changing just a little bit, and this is inked by um, John Verporten, who I'm not overly familiar with, but he must have been, you know collaborating with him at this time but anyway and, and, and Mike, art simic did the lettering and uh they don't say colorist so i guess it's did kirby like how did yeah that's a good question i don't know or maybe the, it's possible they didn't credit the colorist back then 
Yeah, I think that's what it was. Uh, also, look at the Stan Lee as editor gets top billing. Yeah, that happened a lot around this time. It kind of bugs me, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> like, what was he doing? Proofreading? You know, come on. <laughs> anyway, what girl hates Stan Lee? No, I like Stan Lee. But come on. You know. I mean, I think we can all agree it's a little bit full of himself. Right. Right. <laughs> So then, yeah, so we've got these uh, witches here. Are they men or women? I don't even know. They're, they're ladies, I think. Yeah, they're women. So they're like stirring this cold, uh, what is it called? Uh, cauldron. 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 And like, you know, laughing and talking and whatever. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> laughing and talking. Or whatever. Yeah. As witches do. Yep. And like looking down, like they're way up on like a, like a kind of mountaintop looking down at like this village. And they're like, and they're talking about what's going to happen. Like, it begins and ends with villages below. They have come upon hard times, the failure of crop sickness, poverty. There seems no end to it. And they grumble with discontent. And then we cut to the scene of this guy who's featured on the cover walking. He's also the... on the big splash page, Mike, oh, his face is in the background of the witches stirling the cauldron. Yes, that's well. true. It's like make, kind of coming out of the smoke, I guess. And, uh,. Maybe describe that face. It's a unique face. Pretty cool. Um, it's like, okay, one eye is sort of normal. One eye is kind of like a gaping hole, I guess. Yeah. And like his nose is all busted up. And well, it's kind of, it's hard to tell because it's curvy, but it's a little it's bit like almost. kind of like the nose is missing. Yeah, almost missing. And then um, he has like, you know, a big bottom fat lip. And then, uh, you know, based on what we see later, we can see that he has, I think he has a beard. That's kind of coming through in the smoke a little bit, but it's kind of hard to make it out. But that's pretty much it. Yeah, so basically these witches are setting the table for the story that's to follow. Right. Yeah. So we see this monster dude walking through this village, and as he's walking through, everyone's making you know comments about him, you know, calling him a monster. Oh, that evil face, and you know. Wonder yeah, because he's goes- a mon. He looks like a monster, but he's dressed. He's very dapper. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But everyone's treating him badly because he looks like a monster, right? He's got the high hat and the yep. scarf and the coat. Yeah, like you said, it's Oliver Twist because he's very he's Dickensian dapper yes. for sure. Very much so, yeah. And again, everybody in this village, they're all upset because of the uh, their, their their economy's crashed. They have no food. They have no money. But this guy here, this monster fella, he's very well to do. Apparently, he's got. Does it ever? Did they ever say how he got his money? Because he, he seems to have do. all his money. He says he uh, saved. You know, he. That's he right. That's right. Yeah, but, he saved it and they didn't. But like, what does he do to get his money though? And his name is Andreas Fleck. Yeah, that is a great name, Andreas Fleck. <laughs> oh, you know what he does? He manufactures sex dolls. Oh, because we learn that later. Well, kind yeah, of. well yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's a pioneer in the field. <laughs> That's how he got his money. But anyway, he's walking through the village and the people are uh, mean mouthing him. And then uh, go ahead. Yeah. Right. And uh, they're like, oh, look at him. See his contempt for us. So they're projecting here, right? And they're, they're like <laughs> imagining, look, is he really a sorcerer? Can he harm my children? <laughs> and, and then he kind of like scoffs at them. Like, don't don't follow me about with your whispers. You know, why didn't you store food as I did? And even the kids are like calling him a monster, right? And like as they run by him. So then he goes to um, this tinker shop. And uh, oh, yeah, he buys a music box here. And uh, and then he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. And they're like, oh, I will play the music you wish, a strange tune. 
And then he's like, it's not, it's not a spell meant for you, Tinker's wife. Your ears have long been closed to such melodies. So, like, he's kind of a dick, but whatever. He's, he's had a hard life, Well, I right? mean, she started it. And look at her. Like, she's, she's clearly got an attitude. Yeah. And then, yeah, they're really scared of him. And they're like, they're like, oh, you know, you should have held your tongue. You might piss him off. And she's like, monster, you, 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 you mean that music is surely for some devil's ritual. So, again, they're speculating here, right? Yeah. So then, uh, so then, like he gets on his horse and carriage, and like as he's leaving, they're shouting after him. Why don't you get out of here? Get right, basically. They're like, oh, look at he almost ran us down. Like, what else can he do wrong, right? That's the kind of attitude they have. <laughs> it's like the same thing that happens every time I leave the house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. Yeah. So then he returns to his. Um, it's like well, they don't show it from the outside, but it's like a very you know luxurious house, like a mansion. And he's got his, his music box with him. And then he goes to what appears to be the presence of a lovely woman, right? Yeah. And he's like, I have it, Marie. Just as I promised, is, is, it is the music box, remember? The one that plays our only song. And he pulls it out. And we see her in the background. He's like talking to her. And he's got the music box. And he busts it out. And he starts playing the song. And he's like, shall we sing it together, Marie? And, uh... And then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute. Oh, you wish, to, you wish me to read your favorite sonnets while the music plays. So he starts reading some sonnets to her. And everything seems to be going good. But then, just at that moment, we see some villagers peeking in through the window, watching. And then, uh, the, again, projecting, right? Like, oh, well, obviously, he's reading, you know, like uh, Satan's Book of Lost Souls, right? And he is conducting a dark ritual. Okay, so they, they think he's like, you know, like uh, casting spells and stuff. So then all of a sudden there's like a whole, what is this called when you have a whole bunch of villagers together? Like a, like um, a, a, mob, a posse, a mob? Like a posse, a, yeah. A lynch mob. A they lynch were going mob. To, um, it, they think he's going to murder that girl. The yes. Young, the beautiful young woman. They, they got to save that young woman from the clutches right. of this horrible man. Yeah, they got to save the girl. And so they, uh, they get their tiki torches and then um, we see him looking down from the, uh, like his castle type thing. And he's like, man, torches, the rabble from the village, come this way. They sound ugly and raged. So he's like, he's like leaping around. He's kind of like almost, um, what's his name? Mr. Hyde. Like yeah. leaping around like an ape a little bit. Yeah, very much. And so uh, he's like, I'll use the roof to reach the room which contains my collection of antique pis pistols. So then he goes <laughs> and grabs a gun. And then he's like running down this long stairway. And he's like, all oh, these superstitious fools. And then, uh, and then he comes to the door and they, like down to the entrance, and they've already uh, busted through, right? And uh, like they're like, "Look, he's got a gun!" And one of the guys is like, "So have I!" And so then they fire the gun at him, and uh oh, they look down. Uh oh, he's dead. The monster's dead. He'll plague us no more. And we'll and we've saved the girl. But look at the girl. Look at her. Uh oh. Turns out it's not a girl. It's a sex doll. <laughs> yeah, it's just a doll. It's the giant lady doll. I, bl I yes. believe the proper term is mannequin. Yes, mannequin. Oh, That's mannequin. what I meant to say, right. And so he's dead. The monster's dead. The mannequin's laying there, and they're like, she was real to him. He called her Marie. So the monster was nothing but a tragic hermit. All these years, shut away from reality, he made his own. He should have been put out of harm's way in some asylum. Yes, then this would have never happened. Fool! He was out of harm's way here in, in his world, or so he thought. But we were the monsters. We were the devils. The end. Yeah. And there's a little narration. On the hill of witches, the fires are out, and the sisters of fate have fled. But what of man's ancient fears? Have they gone as well? Uh, how about go. that? 
What do you think, Bob? I liked it. I mean, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it could. It's obviously a bit of a classic slash cliched story, and I think it could have been better without the wraparound story of the witches. Um, but mostly, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we got to remember it's 1970, so maybe a lot of this stuff wasn't quite cliche yet. You know, exactly. Yeah. And but, uh, I, I'd like to point out, I think it's rude of them even after they realize that he was harmless. They're, like, they're still like, he should have been in some asylum. It's like, no, he was just living his life. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, good point. How about you not be a murderer? How about right. that? But he's got, yeah, they break into his home and murder him. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he's just a, a quiet little fella who just wants to be left alone, listen to his music, and have sweet, sweet love with his sex doll. That's right. all he wants. And they break into his home. And uh, really, Mike Gale, that's all any of us want, right? I mean, I think I speak for you and I both. We just that's want to true. be left alone yeah. with our sex dolls. Yeah, it's, people it's are, not, it, sorry, go <laughs> ahead. The, the villagers are going to break in my window any moment <laughs> and, and end my pristine uh, existence. But go ahead, Bob. Well, I was just going to say, it's not too much different than someone who is hanging out with an Oscar cutout all day. I mean, <laughs> well, that's, yeah, let's not bring up the Oscar cutout. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Mike Gale doesn't know what we're talking about. No, oh, I barely, okay, no not really, no. <laughs> I have a life-size cutout of Oscar, but that's Come on. All right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so keep the villagers away from my door. But anyway, uh, it's a nice little story, though. It's a tragic tale, Mike Gale. It's a tragic tale. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess, yeah, I do actually think it's good, but I do just wish... We weren't hit over the head with the meaning of the story. It'd be, I mean, I know <laughs> well, it was 1970, yeah, well, but yeah. It'd be ideal to figure it out. This is for eight-year-olds. Right. Yeah, yes, really true, true, true. It's a children's picture book, you know? It's not exactly uh, Dostoevsky here. Probably. I mean, let's let's not pretend that this writing's any worse than any Christmas with the superheroes. Whoa, <laughs> now you're across the line here, okay? Anyway. All right, so that's the first story. Uh, you know, it's Jack Kirby, um, so can't hate that it's jack kirby that's true good stuff all right now this next one might go it's uh notice that it's narrated by uh tom sutton the yes. creator here yes and I, and I guess this was their gimmick like you know how uh, house of mystery had uh kane narrating sure. things they would let creators kind of narrate some of the stories very cool so yeah we get to see tom sutton that is like artboard here and he's uh given the intro to the next story well, yeah, and we should point out, once again, top billing, Stan Lee, editor. Um, <laughs> then Tom Sutton, story and art. Then scripter, Dennis J. O'Neill. Yeah. So I didn't look that up. Is that Denny O'Neill? Yes, yes. Yeah. I assumed so, but I didn't actually bother to do any research. So <laughs> so this is cool. So we basically, this we've got this really rich guy, like infinitely rich, who has realized that... <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, the title of this story is The Man Who Owned the World. Yes, The Man Who Owned the World. And wait, oh, I just got an ad, hold on. Yeah, okay, so oh, this is this is one of those splash pages, isn't it? One of those DC-style splash pages. <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. That's, like, yeah. in the middle of the story. <laughs> so he's, like, cramming himself into this, like, cryogenic chamber. It's, like, tube-shaped, and, like, he's pushing everyone away from him, kind of arguing with them, which is, like, again, like a scene from the story, but we'll get to that in a minute. So, be, oh yeah, oh actually no, it's a flash, it's a flash forward, isn't it? Because yes. he technically flashes back. Okay, so he's in this cryogenic chamber and then he flashes back to explain how he got there. So it starts off with him. He's a grandfather and he's got this granddaughter, and uh, he's like, he shows his granddaughter a picture of this man and in the newspaper, and it says the headline is scientist 
discovers suspended animation process. And he's like, get me this man right away. So then she arranges a meeting. They meet up. And he also mentions that, um, oh, she tells the guy, my grandfather is the world, is one of the world's richest men. Here's a check for $100 million, which even <laughs> yeah. back then was a lot of money, right? Yeah. It's like Dr. I mean, back level. in 1970, I, that was... Uh, like a an billion. absurd amount of money, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, and so the scientist is lamenting. He's like, the world, the work is progressing better than I dare hope. And then the rich guy comes in. And then the expectations were considerably lower than mine because I think you're slacking, right? Like this guy's now basically at work for this old man. And what it is is this old man wants to use this cryogen gas to preserve himself. But the scientist is saying, well, this cryogen gas that I've invented is just a byproduct because what I'm actually trying to do is to save the um, the very atmosphere of the Earth. And the guy's like, look, I don't give a shit about that, okay? I'm talking about <laughs> preserving myself. That's what we got to focus on here, okay? So, yeah, we, we show him, like, you know, with all this money. Now he's actually paying him more to not do any more work, right? Like, to or to work for anyone else. Oh, and he's also um, selling off all of his remaining holdings, which is according to the granddaughter, putting thousands of people out of jobs. And then he's like, oh, she's like, you've thrown thousands out of thousands out of jobs. And he's like, thousands of what? Weaklings, cowards, fools. If they were as strong, as ruthless as I, they would need no one as I need no one, right? That's just like, that's how I think of anyone that works on the comic book syndicate. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? So anyway. <laughs> you're drinking your martini where they're riding outside throwing bricks through your window exactly <laughs> so anyway um so then he's like oh he's like fantasizing in 100 years my money will have accumulated billions in interest i shall own everything and he's like looking at like a tv showing like rioting and washington and moscow and he's like whatever i'm too good for this i don't need to worry about it anymore so, uh, yeah, and he's like dismissing the whole worry about the gradual destruction of ox oxygen, the population explosion, all that stuff. He doesn't care. So then they've got his uh, little cryogenic chamber ready. It's like this, you know, chamber. And uh, <laughs> and then he's like, okay. And, he's, and, and then he says to the uh, scientist, remember, I paid you $100 million for your labor, provided you construct only one of these gadgets. So he's the only one that's going to survive, right? Yeah. And they go, okay, okay. So then he gets in. And he is put into a cryogenic sleep, and then he wakes up uh, 100 years later. And then he comes out of the chamber, and he's like, I did it! I'm alive! Alive! And he's like, oh, I wish my great-granddaughter, or my granddaughter could see could see this, and the scientists were alive with me, right? So that'd be great, but uh, who cares? So then, um... <laughs> it's, not, it's not so they could be with him, and so they could see that he, he says, so they could yes. see me realize my ambition. He doesn't care about them, he just That's wants true. to rub it in their faces. That's right, that's right. Then he's like, odd, as I get closer to the outside, it's becoming more difficult to breathe, and I hear nothing. I open the last door, open it and gaze upon, oh no, oh please, let me be dreaming, oh please, and then, uh-oh, what we see here is a scorched planet Earth with like, like a red and purple kind of atmosphere. And then we see like a city all destroyed in the background. And then the narration says, but as his lungs ache for want of air, for lack of the life-giving oxygen, now almost vanished from the face of the earth, Gregory Urquidine knows he is not dreaming. And then he realizes that he does indeed own the earth, a desolate dying earth. And that it was definitely a bad investment. 
And then there's like a big marker and it says, in memory of Gregory uh, Irkadin, who financed the human race's escape from an earth that he helped destroy, on this day, man goes to the stars, June 25th, 2035. So yeah, they were they, they took off and left him there and now he's got the whole earth himself, but it's a big steaming pile of crap. Yeah, so the money he gave that scientist was that scientist then used to figure out a way to get all of uh, all humanity onto a different planet. Right. And he's left all alone without even a sex doll or an awesome <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Bob, what do you think about this one? This one I really like, too. I mean, it's very it's very much just a Twilight Zone episode. I was yeah. going to say, it's, it's like totally. our buddy Brandon. He loves the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's very much a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, I really liked it. I love this last full-page shot of just him standing in front of his monument. Right. With Earth just ruined around him. Yeah, he's kind of like uh, yeah. collapsing. Yeah. It's good. It's solid. Like, I mean, obviously it's a little overwritten, but yeah. for what it like the the, the the underlying story, I think, is great, you know? And, and we should mention, these are all seven-page stories. Yes. So that's not a lot of room to do stuff, so you got to, like, you uh-huh. know, you might have to overwrite a little bit to get the point across. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, if this came out today, it'd be spread out over like eight issues, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so. Well, we're we're flying through this. There's only yeah. one story left. Wow. Uh, okay, Boy. we can spend a lot of time on this gem. Okay. <laughs> but uh, before before we move on, though, Michael, I didn't do any uh, research on Tom Sutton. Uh, do you know anything about Tom Sutton? The only thing I know about Tom Sutton, I believe he is an artist that worked on Star Trek for DC, because that's what I know him from, but I'm going to do a quick search to confirm my suspicions. (laughs) This is the part of the show where we Google things. Yeah, and like people listen to me typing. Star Trek, okay, so he did the Star Trek movie specials, number one and two, which is actually the movies three and four. Yes, he did draw it. He drew drew Star Trek for number one all the way to 55. There were a few issues missed but he was the main artist for um that would have been dc yeah dc's first volume of star trek so that was well, his main thing yeah that's not the one we did on the show right did we did we do like volume two or something we did no i think we did volume one but we did a peter david issue uh, i think yeah what i remember so, all right yeah so there you go tom sutton all right so one story left to go Sword and the Sorcerers. Yes. So, yes. And as we mentioned, this is proofread by Stanley, uh, <laughs> then written by Roy Thomas, and drawn by Barry Smith. Uh, and then we open up with a splash page of a Conan esque barbarian. Um, he is basically has no clothes on except for like essentially underwear and like boots. Yeah. And then he has. And I looked this up. Apparently, this horn was inv- or this horned helmet was invented for this character, then reused for Conan, but only for the first like six issues or something. Oh, about that. So it's kind of famous, yeah. Yeah, we should just may- remind everybody. Uh, Barry Windsor Smith he drew the first initial issues of Conan, right? Right, and Roy Thomas wrote hundreds of Conan stories. Yeah, so this is again kind of like a test run for Conan, and so it kind of opens up like with a. I mean, I would say it's stereotypical, but at the time there weren't really many barbarian comics, but this barbarian character is fighting this kind of humanoid monster, right? He's like, by the great gods of the, uh, by the, sorry, by all the gods of the great abyss. 
He's like shouting at this guy and just, you know, using typical barbarian speak. And uh, he's fighting this. Okay, now this is where it gets weird. <laughs> Panel two. <laughs> so he's fighting this monster. And then all of a sudden the monster vanishes. And in his place is a giant face of a guy. Yeah. Um, Troll the wizard. And, and then Troll the wizard kind of grows a full body and then like grabs the uh, barbarian. And is, like, but he's holding like a him. giant red monster now. Yeah, he's like kind of changed again. Now he's a red monster. And he's like holding him in his hand and like shouting at him and threatening him. And then all of a sudden he changes again, it looks like. And he's like, now behold, Savage, as I form the sign of chaos above my head. For it signals your end, right? Like all the uh, the typical stuff, right? That you'd say to someone if you were butting a barbarian. Oops. <laughs> and then, um, hold on a sec here. And then it cuts. And then he looks over and he sees a screaming fireball streaking at me out of the void. And it basically hits, oh, the next instant, a desperately raised broadsword. It hits his broadsword. And there's kind of a, like an explosion. And then he's laying on the ground. And he looks behind him, and then now there's Troll again, but he's just kind of like standing there. And so then he whips his sword at him, and then this is where it gets really weird. All of a sudden, uh, what happens? But somebody wakes up, and it turns out it's the writer of this story, right? And it's yeah, he's, a guy he's named, dreaming the whole thing. Yeah, his, his name's Len Carson, and he's he's talking about how he's. Oh, the phone rings and he answers it and he's talking about how he's talking to a girl named Whitney and he's talking about how he dreamed up another Star the, S the Slayer classic for 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 that rag you call a magazine, right? So he's a yeah. Comic he's not writer. talking to a girl named Whitney. I think that's the guy's last name. Oh, the guy's last name. Okay. Yeah. And so he's like, you know, he's like, what do you mean? So he's like, oh, he's like, um. But I just called to say you won't like the ending because I'm going to kill off that sword-swinging slob. What do you mean I can't do that? I'm the author, baby. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> the so then this Whitney hangs up on him, and then he's like, okay, so now he's like going to go for a walk, right? So he walks down to the street, and uh, he walks by like the uh, – is this like the doorman, I guess? or That's oh, police officer, the local yeah. cop. Uh, yeah. They know each other, and they're chatting a bit. Yeah, and this guy knows about – the um, Star of the Slayer, and he's like, yeah, I just finished my last one, O'Neill. The doc says they got me too uptight. Ulcers, the, ho the whole Magilla. Is that, that must be an old expression from 1970. Yeah, the whole Magilla. Yeah. Never heard that before. Oh, I'm quite familiar with it because I like to talk ah. like that, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love this, like, then the cop's like, sorry to hear that one. Sorry sort to of hear that. I read one of them the other day. They were good. Real good. And he's, like, really <laughs> upset about it. So then uh, the guy's walking along, and then uh, and then all of a sudden, what? He in the middle of this alley, he comes upon none other than wait, what's the guy's name again? Star the Slayer. Yeah. So the actual barbarian that's, that's Star the Star Slayer. That's Star with two R's, by the way. Yes, two the, R's. The second one is silent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's standing in the alley, and he starts shouting at him. He's and he's like, "What, Star? What are you doing here?" And he's like. He's like, uh, I, assassin, it is Star the Slayer who stands before you. He whom you would mean to destroy, but you shall who shall slay you instead. So he basically takes out his sword and uh, starts, they start shouting at each other. And then we get this weird shot where it looks like he's going to walk up the side of this building. <laughs> yeah. But then it cuts over and um, what's his name? Kip Carson? Len Carson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Len Carson... Uh, he like reaches down and he's like 
feeling around for his papers, right? Like the script. Yeah, he was going to mail the script. That's where he was going. He was walking on the street to mail the script, right. I believe, right? Yeah. So then uh, the guy... So the star of the Slayer is like still shouting at him. He's like, but, but I created you and I made you a hero. You, you can't just murder me in cold blood. And he's like, and who would dare to call it murder wizard when I kill only to save my own life? So he holds up a sword and then all of a sudden it flashes again. And now we see star of the Slayer waking up on like a, like a meadow and he's with his buddy who looks exactly the way Barry Smith drew Hawkeye in Avengers, so I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> right. he's got a guy, he's like this guy with blonde hair, and he's like waking up next to him, he's like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I, good morrow. But but how did I return here when here moments ago, I slew my most deadly foe in a strange and far off land? And the guy's like, nay, nay my lord, you have lain here these long, long minutes past. So basically, this guy was dreaming the other thing, right? So he was dreaming about this writer, supposedly. Yeah. So then they start to walk off in the distance, and he's like, well, uh, I have dreamed a dream, a vision of cities of glass and gleaming steel, a world where I fought my greatest foe, most faithful battle for my very soul itself. And the other guy's like, but you won, my lord, you won. Tell me of this dream that I may compose a song of it. And he says, perhaps I shall, minstrel, one day. Now come, for the city awaits its rightful king. And then at the bottom it says, and Star the Slayer did return unto the silver-spired palace. And there did rule wisely and justly till the end of his days, and they were many. And then it says the Chronicles of Zardath. Yeah, whatever the fuck that is. There means. you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, notice in the lower left corner in the foreground, there's a print type script. Uh, yeah. Manuscript. So was it a dream? No, no. He uh -huh. really did kill that writer guy, right? And yeah, it looks like it. Came back one. Uh, Bob, uh, what do you think about this? <laughs> um, I, it's actually not that bad. It's they're the worst of these three stories, but it's not too bad. It's it's, it's kind of like another Twilight Zoney kind of story. It, yeah, it is very Twilight Zoney. Like yeah. a writer having his creation come to life and kill him, you know, one of them deals. <laughs> oh, well, my cat just jumped up on me. Sorry hey, I like cats. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I like the. This is Barry Smith again. This is a. When when did he take on the Windsor, Michael? Any idea? That is a good question. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know. Because I like seeing this as a young uh, Barry Windsor Smith because. Occasionally, there'd be panels where like, yeah, I don't recognize this art style at all. And then all of a sudden, bang, oh, there's there's a, a mature Barry Windsor Smith panel right there. You can right. kind of see it. Like the way he'll draw a hand or the body position or something. Like, oh, yes. there it is. There's Barry Windsor Smith. So that's kind of interesting. That's, uh... Yeah, the story, I don't know. It's not the best. Not great. Yeah, Definitely it's not, not great. that bad. It, but, it, well, I mean, if, oh, go ahead. If this gave us Conan the comic which then gave us the great arnold movies that's probably all worth it <laughs> and red yeah Star, like it's actually a decent <laughs> it's a decent idea but the way it's executed is very awkward yeah exactly again i think the limitations of the uh space here what seven pages that's again, part of it so yeah that's a big idea to put into a short story right but, um, yeah it's okay you know <laughs> yeah i i so michael you're telling me that this really was a test run for conan well, I, it, it was kind of like them saying, can we do barbarian stuff? And then they got the... I think it, this is sort of what pushed them in the direction of getting the rights to Conan. Huh. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Would you read more Star the Slayer, though? Because I, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. I don't even know if there are more Star the Slayer, are there? Yeah, yeah but theoretically... Oh, would I? Oh, no, yeah. no, no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> yeah, Star the Slayer. What kind of name is that for a barbarian? 
Yeah, not great. Definitely not great. Uh, not great at all. So, all right, uh, three stories. And uh, is that it? Do we get a mail? Oh, we get a letters page here. Chaff from the Chamber is the name of the letters page. And uh, Dan Lee really phoned it in on that one. But I, I always like to read the full addresses of people who wrote letters. So the first one is from James Shell, 4546 Fulton Avenue, Sherman Oaks, California, 91403. Yeah. <laughs> it's, always right. weird. it's always weird that they just put their whole address. Yeah, that is weird. And I think back in those days, if you didn't give your address, your full address, they wouldn't even print it. <laughs> we want to make sure that people can come and murder you in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so please give us your full address. Right. Uh, so that's it, Bob. Uh, Chamber of Darkness. Uh, overall thoughts? Overall, I think it was pretty good. I mean, you've got a way with a grain of salt. You know, this was from 1970, but for 1970, I'd say it's pretty good. Uh, I suppose. Yeah, I like this I mean, better than House of I'm, Mystery. I'll say that. Yeah, oh, I'm sure of that. <laughs> I mean, it's it is what it, it's not. The, it's certainly not the best comic book I've ever read, but it's not the worst either. So. The, the stories how, were interesting ideas, and I how thought do you the feel, art was mostly good. How do you feel about the anthology concept? Three story, three seven-page stories instead of maybe just one twenty-one-page story. How, how do you feel about that? Um, I'm okay with it because, like, if you know, if I were a kid reading this every by month or whatever when it came out, and there was a whole issue just on Star the Slayer, I'd be really <laughs> upset. But instead, you get a couple of good stories with it. So. <laughs> you get a couple of good stories with it. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, Mike, how do you feel in general about the anthology concept? Well, I love, I like the idea that you can just pick up one comic and get like a bunch of stories. I just wish that they were more economic, like just better written. <laughs> well, not just better written, but like I, I know that they're crammed with a lot of stuff, but there's still a better way to do it, I think. I think I, maybe the Unknown Soldier way was, well, that was a bigger issue though, right? The Unknown Soldier, yeah, wasn't that I, like a... Think, no, I think that was normal size, I think. No, I thought it was a little bigger, because I think the Unknown Maybe. Soldier story, it was way longer than seven pages. It was like 15 pages or something, mm -hmm. I think. Right? And then, I think. It, it was definitely more than seven. I know that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe that would be a better way, having like one main story kind of like that with a feature character and then the two backup stories being something else maybe. I right, right. Because when I, I read know. these, when I read these little anthology stories these past two weeks, it's always like, all right, that's kind of a clever idea, but it's not fleshed out properly. It's not right. like... Exactly. So well, that, I, I kind of look at it like it's just a collection of like an author... It's like a collection of short stories. It's like, yeah, yeah. The, there are a lot of interesting ideas that they didn't really flesh out. Maybe right. they'll turn them into something, but I like reading short story collections, so this is very much in the same vein. I suppose. <laughs> uh, they're just shorter short stories. Yeah, they are wee tiny short stories. So, uh, Mike L., uh, would you read more Chamber of Darkness? I would consider it, yeah. Did you like this or House of Mystery better? Oh, uh, I, I give this the edge by a little bit, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think this is better. But uh, All right, so Mike L., what would you give this one out of 10? Uh, I'd give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I think I'll go 6 as well. Uh, Bob, what do you think? I'm also a six, mostly hey! for the art. The stories are fine, yeah. the, but the art's really good. How about that? The sign of the beast for Shocktober. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Shocktober. How appropriate <laughs> for Shocktober. Wow. Well, Bob, well, Bob this was a very brief episode because there's, there's never anything to talk about in these shorts, uh, these little anthology horror stories. Uh, so anything else going on in your world, Bob? <laughs> Have you been reading anything else lately? 
Um, I think I mentioned this. Actually, it might have been off after I did the Spider Cast a couple weeks ago. But you'll you'll enjoy this. I've been reading Miss Tree. Oh, oh nice. nice! I love Miss Tree. Oh, yeah, I it's, it's Tree. pretty good. Yeah, it's great. I need to go yeah. back to read more Miss Tree. I haven't read Miss Tree in a while. I read like a couple issues, but I got to go back and read more. Yeah, how about that. I love the Miss Tree. Hey, uh, Bob. Are you watching that Sandman TV show? Because Mike L. told me that there is a Sandman TV show, and I immediately <laughs> tried to block it off my TV. <laughs> but did um, you? Are you watching it? I did watch it. I've only watched the first six episodes, and I think you'll really enjoy this. So I was watching it with my girlfriend, and okay, we yeah. she was kind of, you know, iffy on it. And then we got to episode six, which is essentially the Sandman comic we read on this show. Oh, no. And, yes. and after that, she's like, yeah, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, that was like one of the best episodes. That's too bad. <laughs> and I, I couldn't blame her on that. It really wasn't. It was like, this is, because I even said, like, this is the worst issue of the comic. And oh, wow. It's like, it's funny because that's universally acknowledged as the one that put it on the map. So I don't know why you think it's bad. <laughs> I mean, I understand why I put it on the map. It was, you know, it was, I don't know, daring or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it was, um, I can't find the word that I'm looking for, but controversial i guess is probably the way so yeah it's like yeah i'm sure everyone said wow look at this it's, it's mm-hmm. something different but yeah. when you read the whole thing it's like this is weird and just kind of i don't know i don't like it that much i like everything yeah. else way more i thought it was very clumsy and heavy-handed but if you go back and listen <laughs> yeah. to our review of it you'll hear me make all sorts of jokes about it and they were great so but i mean the 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 episode itself wasn't bad the the main character the actor is um He's in Harry Potter, and he's Dr. very good. D, I'm sure yeah. he's done many other things. I can't think of his name, though. So I'm He's just also call. the bad guy in Wonder Woman. Nobody saw that. I mean, probably yeah. a lot of people <laughs> saw Actually, that. Actually, a billion people saw it, but yeah. Hey, hey uh, Mike L., also for Shocktober, I saw that Disney Plus has a Werewolf by Night special. Yeah, I saw that. Now, did you see that they have it, or did you actually see the episode? No, I saw the episode. I saw the okay. show. Yeah, yeah it's like 45 minutes, right? Yeah, like and... it was. it's under an hour, yep. And it's just a one-shot deal. Well, yes, but we all know he's going to come back, right? Oh, I don't know. So well, did don't you... spoil anything. Yeah, I, I haven't, haven't watched it. We've... Yeah, my I friends and I have been trying to get together to watch it, but it uh, hasn't been Oh, out. look at you, having a little get-together with your friends. Yeah. Over we Werewolf all saw the trailer. We're like, Werewolf by Night, we've got to check this out. This looks uh, cool. How about this, Bob? Why don't you get all your friends together, and uh, after you watch the show, then you put on the Flea Market Fantasy episode of Werewolf by Night. And you can all just... <laughs> of course. <laughs> sit around and listen to it. But, uh, Michael, uh, what did you think of Werewolf by Night, the TV show? I definitely thought it was good. Uh, not Probably not as good as everyone else thought, but um, my favorite thing about it is, is it's in black and white. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's kind of made to was... look like a universal horror you know, type oh, deal. Oh, so it was, it was a conscious decision, not just a mix-up at the lab? Yeah, exactly. Conscious to... deci- <laughs> decision, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, check Damn. out the trailer, Mike Dell. It looks it looks interesting. Oh, yeah. we forgot yeah. to color it. Oh, <laughs> but all right. So yeah, I had no idea it existed. I just happened to notice it. I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes for something else. I'm like, Werewolf by Night. What the hell? And uh, and I'll have you know, this was my idea because I knew <laughs> I, I proposed the next thing Marvel should do is their horror properties. This makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> well, so, yeah. well uh, yeah, I guess Marvel did too. What was the one uh, Morbius, right? Did you ever watch Morbius? Uh, the movie? Yeah. Yeah, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> it's garbage. All right, I just, hate it. Just wanted to check. Did you All hear right. about the whole controversy about the whole it's Morbentime thing? 
<laughs> no, I have no idea. So, okay, so the movie bombed in theaters. Yeah. And then someone randomly tweeted, my favorite part about Morbius is when, something like, was when he's surrounded by all the, the bad guys and he says, it's Morbin time, and he morbs them all. <laughs> and then somehow someone else retweeted it and it turned into this meme. And so Sony, it, with their ingenious algorithms, figured, oh my God, everyone's talking about Morbius. We should bring it back in, into theaters. And they brought it back to theaters and it bombed even worse. And it like lost them millions of dollars. <laughs> so yeah, that's the story of Morbius. <laughs> Good old Morbius. All right. Well, uh, hey, he would fit in perfectly with Shocktober, Michael. But uh, yes. nec- next week, it is your choice of book. Oh, so, you don't uh, say. You don't say, uh, huh? Well, I'll have you know that I'm picking a group of characters that, honestly, I can't believe we haven't covered yet. Because, I mean, if anything was deserving of a, you know, one-hour special on a streaming network, it would be the Creature Commandos from DC (laughs) Comics. Bob, are you familiar with the Creature Commandos? Of course I'm not. I've never (laughs) heard of the Creature Commandos. Okay, well, they are a platoon of soldiers who happen to look exactly like Frankenstein, Dracula, (laughs) and the Wolfman. (laughs) (laughs) They're awesome. What year did this come out? Uh, This comic came out one second here in 1980, November 1980. Yeah, the DC. Creature Commandos. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link just a minute here. I, I, I know I've never heard of the Creature Commandos. Our listeners are scrambling. Don't worry, listeners. We'll find a link for you. Hold on. You can follow along here. Here we go. There you go. Click on that sucker. This is Weird War Tales number 93, okay? Featuring the Creature Commandos. Oh, okay. So there the, wasn't an actual series called the Creature Commandos. Uh, Well, I mean, they did. It was a recurring feature, I think. So. Okay. But I'm sure this time next year, you mark my words, okay? HBO Max is going to have a Creature Commandos <laughs> special, okay? One hour special, guarantee. Yeah, I can't see how they could pass up on this. A, <laughs> this Joe Kuber cover, Michael, looks very similar to the Unknown Soldier cover where you had a monster beating Nazis. And if you look at the, the Nazi on the far right, he's turning and looking at the camera. I swear to God, that same guy is on that Unknown Soldier cover. Interesting. Like huh. the same. Maybe that was a test run for this comic. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, all right, so the Creature Commandos. And Mike Gale, if I'm uh, correct in my math, I believe that we'll have one more week of Shocktober after next week, right? No, because this will be the fourth one. We've already done Unknown Soldier, House of Mystery, Chamber of Darkness. But, and what? But I believe the way the days fall, we will still be in October, right? Technically, we will be in October, but if we do another one, it will air in November. So we can't do it, you see. Rules are rules. Yeah, because we'll be recording on the 27th, and it wouldn't air until November 1st. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's why we started recording Shocktober on September 29th. I I thought we were going to squeeze in one more. Uh Uh-oh, I hope I didn't throw your plans off. Did you have another one ready? I was probably going to go with one of them zombie books. From, hey, that's uh, fine. We can do five weeks of Shocktober. We'll see. We'll see. I don't want. <laughs> All right. I don't want to rock the boat too much. We'll see how it goes. All right. I think I think November first is close enough that you can feel okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It still qualifies. Okay. We'll see. Well, hey, you know what? We'll let our listeners vote. Okay. <laughs> yes. Bob, what do you think? The, the, the phone's already <laughs> ringing I off the hook. I vote for it. All right. There you go. 
Our listeners voted. <laughs> there you go. What a convenience. All right. Well, there you go. We want to thank Bob for joining us again for his 11th appearance. Wow. wow 11. It's been 11 times. Holy hell. Yeah. God. Is there anything you'd like to plug, Bob? Are you any projects? <laughs> I don't think I have. I'm, I'm, no, I don't think I have any projects to plug, unfortunately. All right. Just thought I'd ask. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, maybe someday I'll do something, but. Nope. <laughs> well, say hi to your cat for us. Yeah. Oh, of course. All right. All right, Mike, I guess we're done here. All right, there you go. Another episode of Flea Market Fantasy. Every week we review a Bronze Age comic from the 1970s or 80s. One week I pick, one week Mike Dell picks, sometimes Bob picks. <laughs> but uh, you can find every episode of our show at www.comicbooksyndicate.com. There's a new episode every week. And until next Tuesday, this. Hey!